Hello, this is James Gadd on the movie Morlock. Welcome to the program. Um, and I hope you all enjoyed the last episode with uh, my special guest, Teal, who uh, some of you have been missing uh, from the uh, podcast, uh, stuff we've seen. Uh, it was great to have Teal back. And uh, if you were wondering, like, why didn't he sound uh, like he usually did uh, on the show? That was because that's the reason why he's not on the show anymore. <laughs> he, he literally still is not unpacked yet they have new floors that they need to have put in and because of all of the supply chain issues they can't get the new floors so he can't unpack all his stuff and he can't find his microphone and he can't even find the stuff so to, to watch like uh shows he hasn't even set up his projector and all that stuff so you know i was able to we were able to do that fun show on the jake gyllenhaal and I hope everybody enjoyed that. But now we are going to uh, turn into a different avenue altogether. And to do that, I have a guest with me. And uh, here she is, uh, the world's biggest Aaron Rodgers fan, Shannon. What a rude introduction. <laughs> yeah, well, that was like, that's a shtick that we used to do on the other show where every single week I would introduce uh, Teal as some crazy um, right-wing aficionado, which he totally is not. Um, so I thought <laughs> it was I pretty funny. I am totally not, <laughs> just to make that clear for the listeners that don't right. know me. No. I, I barely know who Aaron Rodgers is only because he's been shooting off at the mouth apparently and i've only read headlines i don't even know what this idiot has to say nor do i care <laughs> prior to uh, turning on to the program uh, shan and i were having a, a fun little chat about uh the nuttiness around what seems like such a simple thing as getting a vaccination because my almost 10 year old just got his vaccination he had no hesitation he was very excited he got the shot it didn't he didn't even realize that the shot had been given to him in the arm because it hurt so Aww. little and then the next day he didn't even have any feeling he went right to school didn't care and it just struck me in the same week where you have this guy who, you know, he's the face of a fran football franchise. Millions of kids look up to somebody like him. He's on TV, uh, does ads for things like State Farm. And, uh, you know, he's a well-known personality uh, beyond <laughs> just football. And, uh, you know, again, sure, these people are just, they're good at something. They're good at sports. And sports happens to be a very visual thing. But, Kids, kids really do look up and, and, you know, you should never have a sports person as your hero, no. but you'd like to at least think of that type of face being a role model that you can look up to. And when it comes to something like this, a guy like Aaron Rodgers could do so much good by getting a vaccinated and then coming out and being vocal and saying, you know what, it's good. I did the right thing for my team, for people. I, I don't want to be sick for myself. I don't want to make my family sick. I don't want to make other people sick. And it's the best thing to do to, to, to also try to end this thing. But instead, he he decided to what lie um, and like attend a party and then say some like crazy nonsense. About yeah, the that's the problem is that it's bad enough that he's uh, decided that, oh, I don't need a vaccine because not only is it, you know, silly because he got he ended up COVID. And yeah, you know what? His age and he's, he's probably very physically fit because he's a quarterback right. in the NFL. <laughs> and, and if he was, if he did get sick, he could be have access to the top notch medicine, which exactly. not everybody else could have. So, so there he runs, I guess, a lower risk of dying from uh, COVID, though, again, there isn't a pattern like you don't know if you get it, whether you're going to be fine, whether you're going to be a little sick, whether you're going to be a lot of sick, or whether you're going to hope that you'll live. It doesn't seem to have a rhyme or reason. Uh, so you're not only just taking a chance with yourself, which totally, you know what, me, if it was just a virus that got you and it didn't infect anybody else, well, then it wouldn't be a virus. But the right. fact is, he wants to get sick. He wants to die. I don't I don't care about anybody who wants not to do that. Out, buddy. Absolutely. I don't care. However, and you know what? When I got vaccinated, um, and I've been vaccinated with both of my shots, and I've even gotten a booster, so I'm feeling pretty good about myself. But when I was vaccinated, and it seemed like the possibility of me getting COVID again or spreading it to others was so minimal, 
I, I felt mm-hmm. pretty good. I felt kind of invincible, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those were the best days, like immediate, like, you know, a few weeks after being vaccinated and you were like, there's a little point over the summer where it was like, things are kind of normal again. Like I can hug my friends. Like I remember the first time, like after we were all vaccinated, a friend had us over for brunch and to watch the season finale of like whatever season of Drag Race was on at the time. And we did a group hug and then all burst into tears because it had been so long since we had hugged and uh it's just to not care about anyone else like what a privilege it is for aaron Rodgers to well yeah because once we found out right once we found out oh no 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 you can actually get this delta variant and and maybe you won't be as sick because you've been vaccinated but you know you can still get it and you can pass it on to somebody else well then you know what people like myself i care about others and yeah. I'm, you know, like, again, when I go to stores and things, I still wear a mask. Now, I don't have Same. a mandate in my state anymore, but, you know, thankfully they do for kids in the school. But, you know, okay. I, I feel like it's a small thing I can do for people. Um, I do know somebody that I went to college with that uh, she was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis when she was 25. And last year she had a double lung transplant. Now, someone like her. Uh, you know, it's not her fault that she got cystic fibrosis and she has spent a good 25 years fighting this thing and she's continuing to fight the good fight with, with new lungs. Wow. If she gets COVID, it's, it's, it's end of, it's end of the story for her. Mm -hmm. But yet someone with a a pair of new lungs, she got the vaccines. So if they say, well, I can't take it because of health reasons. Well, what health reasons are are, Trump hers? (laughs) Yeah, what do you have that's more intense than double lung transplant, you 65-year-old baby? Yeah, so, you know, when I think of someone like Aaron Rodgers, the big face of a franchise and stuff, being that selfish, what he's basically saying is, I don't necessarily care about myself, but I really don't care about you. And that's really what just gets my goat a bit. Right. Well, and it's also just that like sort of egocentric attitude of like nothing bad will ever happen to me because, you know, I'm me and I'm important and I'm special and uh, everything will be fine in my life because I'm a rich man that plays sports ball and I get paid a lot of money to do it. And people care about whether or not I like I'm a commodity. So people care if I live and they'll do they'll pay top dollar to keep me throwing that ball. Okay, so guess what? Now now we spent eight minutes doing this, and now we've cleared the air. So, like, now literally if people have run from the podcast, right? Like, I don't want to yeah. listen to these people, right? We got rid of those non-fans, right? That was Good. it. So that we can now, all the cool people that are still listening that are still to here. our show. <laughs> that have those vaccine coursing through their bodies, the cool people. <laughs> That's right. I, I wanted to clear all the anti-vaxxers out because they don't deserve this discussion on Edgar Wright's last night in Soho. Which uh, not only have I seen, but guess what? Shannon has seen. It is something that Shannon has watched. What Shannon yes, watched. And, <laughs> and that's the name of her Instagram page, <laughs> What Shannon Watched. And so uh, please take a look at that because I'm always entertained. Because uh, it's funny, you're not the only uh, fish in the sea that does these uh, kind of... Not by a long shot. <laughs> however, I have to say that when you write a review, it's way more entertaining than a lot of these other characters. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. You actually have something to say on, on these films. And it's usually kind of like there's an amusing spin. So you know how to write uh, a little bit. And sometimes yeah. people... <laughs> They're excited to talk about a movie that they watch, but they just don't even know how to talk about it. Right. That's see, I just wanted you to like praise me a little bit more. That's why I wanted you to. Um, I just wanted you to say nice things about me. Um. Of course, <laughs> we we are taping with video, but you won't see the video necessarily. But Shannon is wearing, in honor of this episode, she is wearing a Shaun of the Dead type costume. So yes, make sure everybody <laughs> can see that because I'll probably at least put up a screenshot or something on the uh, the website. I'm holding up my my homemade cricket bat for uh, so bashing zombie heads. Uh, <laughs> just a Halloween costume from a few years ago. But um, yeah, on the Instagram, I just, I try to, you know, not take myself too seriously. I'm not like an actual film reviewer. I'm not going to say anything that's going to blow anybody's mind, but I just really like movies and I like putting it out there into the world and seeing who agrees with me, who doesn't agree with me, who just mindlessly likes whatever I post, you know, shout out to my friends who do that. Um, but <laughs> it's just, it's just fun to, to give a little more thought to the things that you 
watched, you know, in a time where like we can, we just consume, there's so much media and we all just consume so much. And sometimes it can feel disposable. I like to actually sort of like consciously watch things. Like I'm not somebody that's like on my phone while I'm watching something. If I am doing that, it means I really don't like what I'm like. That's a, that's a bad movie. If I pick up my phone, like I'll check Instagram, right. I'll check my emails right now. Like that's a sign I'm not enjoying the movie. Otherwise I am like all in and I'm focused and I want to actually like absorb what I'm watching. (laughs) I will say that that is, you know, I'm a little bit guilty of it when I'm in my own home that it's mm-hmm. tempting to pick up the phone. Certainly, if I'm sort of passively watching stuff and that's sure. that's okay. If I'm trying to like, oh, I want to watch this, a lot of times there'll be some detail or an actor in the, or, or I want to know like, hmm, who shot this or something. And then I find myself right, yeah. picking up my phone, these details. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I'm missing the movie. And I pause and I'll, I'll go back. But that's yeah. a key reason why I love the film going experience and which is why it's been very tough for me these past couple of years as a film fan that my preference is to see a movie that I really am looking forward to. I want to see it in the theater and Same. so many films that I have had to sacrifice and watch. I mean, we got a big T te- we got a big TV at the beginning of the year because we realized, you know what? I don't know if our movie theater is ever going to come back. And we were right. It didn't come back and it's closed down permanently. And so, you know, at least if we have to watch things at home, it's a pretty big screen. It's still not the same as seeing it in the theater. Mm -hmm. And I was reminded of that fact a few weeks ago when my wife and I went to a theater and saw Last Night in Soho. And it was a very cinematic experience, Mm -hmm. I found. And so I was. I thought this was a great way to kind of come back. Uh, I did see a couple of blockbusters at the beginning of the summer for those, again, few weeks where we felt like it was right. safe to go back. <laughs> um, and I did see the James Bond movie. Again, and even though that was a big screen experience with lots of sound, I still felt like, well, if I had seen it on my TV, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. I guess I'm so used to seeing these kind of disposable action films now on my sure. home. So. It was a treat to see something that had been so lovingly filmed as this movie and mm-hmm. with cinematography that was actually shot on film. The movie was shot on film. And if you, even though it's a digital projector that I saw it, I couldn't see, there's no place that's shooting it, uh, showing it in 35 millimeter here. Um, there mm-hmm. is if I could have gotten to Boston. But, <laughs> to, well, I mean, you know, I sometimes, so this movie in the past, I would have taken a trip. I would have stayed at my family's house in Massachusetts and I would have gone into town and seen it on 35 millimeter because that's kind of geek I am. Yeah, no, I respect that. Not something I can do anymore, really. So just seeing a film, though, that I can tell was shot on film because the colors and the texture is different than if it was shot on digital. And if you're shooting a film that has a, a period bend like this, it is a much more rewarding experience. Absolutely. Um, so I saw in the theater and it's not streaming yet. So you saw it in the theater as well. I did. And I had just like a perfect little, one of my favorite pastimes is going to the movies. I love to go to the movies alone. And so if that's, I did a, like a matinee showing at like 4 PM on a Wednesday and went and like got my popcorn and snacks and a beer and like settle into my seat. <laughs> and like, you know, one of our, our local theaters uh, that I hadn't been back to yet. And, you know, I'm just trying to support like all of these little tiny local theaters that I love so much. Um, but, you know, and it was just like a, a tiny, tiny theater and there were maybe like four other people in there. And it just, I love like getting the trailers beforehand, though it was a trailer for the French Dispatch, which I'm so tired of seeing a trailer for that. I've seen it a million times now. And I know we will talk about Wes Anderson. I do like I even cut that part out the last episode. (laughs) I was like, she's not a, I I didn't get a chance to see that yet. And I'm hoping this weekend I get to see it, but. uh, I do want to see it, but you know, mm. but anyway, so just like having the whole experience of like seeing the trailers and I'm eating my popcorn. And I love the way that you, described the because it is shot on film like the way you describe the colors and the textures of the movie because that is something that really stood out for me like the colors in this movie just pop so beautifully and the first episode that you and I did together we did malignant and we talked about how a lot of people were saying that that was you know giallo no (laughs) yeah um and I you know I beg to differ and but this is how you like 
uh, last thing in Soho is how you incorporate those sort of giallo elements. Like this, the color is there. Like it has that element there that is so beautiful in like the flashing red and blue in her apartment. It's just so sumptuous. Yes. Oh my God, that's a great word to use. It was just, yes, it just was so sumptuous. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I read some, you know, different reviews, um, a lot of positives, but you know, there's some people that on the negative front for a lot of the younger reviewers that are out there, this may be a hard film for them to watch because they don't have a lot of reference points if they're mm -hmm. if they're more steeped in, in modern films. Because I, I feel like today we fall victim where if it isn't just a big tentpole movie, mm -hmm. every movie tends to get judged. And I think it's probably because everyone's trying to sell it in this hard to sell environment. Is it Oscar worthy? Is it award worthy? And right. when you go in with those types of expectations, I think that these reviewers start to look at the movie and pick it apart in a way that says, well, is this story really like an, like I was hoping I was going to get an award winning movie out of it. And I think that might be the wrong approach because really what this is is it reminded me of the kind of films I'd see in high school where it may not be your top five film of the year in terms of mm -hmm. like the grandeur of like, this really was the best film and stuff. Right. But it's one of these, it's a genre movie that has so mm -hmm. many great moments and scenes in it that I will find myself coming back to it. And if it shows up on TV, like mm -hmm. it's great. My first viewing was in the theater, but I will subsequently get more out of it again and again, watching it at home because there are parts that maybe the entire whole doesn't add up as much as some of the parts. Mm -hmm. And maybe the first half is a better ride than the second half. I don't know, but it's just so enjoyable that I have found myself and it's weird because it's about dreams a lot is mm -hmm. that I have found myself in weird last night in Soho type dreams many times in the past few weeks since I've seen the movie. Whoa, whose life are you living while you sleep? I don't, I don't know. Well, it's weird is that it's like inspired because in my mind, I'm part of like whatever's happening last night in Soho, yet it has nothing to do with it. Does That doesn't make any sense, but it's just weird is that I found that movies that I, I really like aren't necessarily even movies that I like while I'm watching it or even just after I finished it. It's those movies that stay with me several mm -hmm. days later or a couple of weeks and I keep thinking about and I feel like that's the power. Even though while I was Absolutely. watching this movie, I was I was just enjoying there's a craft. Like I always look in cuz I wanted to be a filmmaker when I was growing up and yeah. I look at sometimes a movie that does so many amazing things and say, geez, as a filmmaker, could I have thought to do some of these things or could I have ever <laughs> like figured out how to do this? And I see a film like this and I'm like, you know, he did it. He was able to put it on screen. And I'm talking about just how many cool ways they found to visually capture the duality between the, the main character, Eloise, and then... Yeah, and, and Sandy, uh, played by Anya Teller-Joy, and the things that they do with mirrors and cross-cutting, and it's it's done so beautifully and seamlessly that mm -hmm. I just was like an awe and appreciative of how he was pulling that off. Yeah, I loved those sequences, especially when um, Eloise first encounters Sandy and like walks into the Café de Paris or whatever, and you see her in her pajamas, and then she faces the mirror, and then you see that she's Sandy. I I loved that whole sequence and like her coming down the stairs, and you see it reflected, and then like the dance sequence where it kept like switching back and forth to which one of them was dancing with Jack. Uh, it was I just thought it was so cool the, the way that he just like blended these two characters i wanted to talk a little bit about like edgar wright as a filmmaker in general like um we were talking earlier i think we've both seen most of his films i'm a pretty big edgar wright fan like i really enjoy a lot of his films and what i think is so great about what he does is he is clearly a big fan of movies like he clearly has a wide breadth of knowledge about films. I feel joy in his movies. Like he is just so excited to be pulling in all these elements and all of these reference points from movies that he loved. Like I know we talked about like the Criterion channel right now has like his recommendations for like, you know, movies that like 
really influenced him. Um, and I know there was like an indie wire list of like 25 movies that inspired certain portions of last night in Soho. And I just love that he takes these little pieces from all these movies that he loves and all these different genres that he loves. And you can see that in Shaun of the Dead, we've got like the zombie movie, hot fuzz. We have like the cop actiony procedural, um, and like, Scott Pilgrim, obviously, like a, a actiony, like video game kind of a movie. I just, I feel the love from his movies. Like I, can, I just, I feel joy. Like I feel his joy, and I felt that so much in Last Night in Soho because there's just so many different genres happening there. Like it's a horror movie, it's a psychological thriller. There's a little like romance happening. It's and it's all of these things and all together they worked really well for me. I think he did just bang up job on this movie. I like that you mentioned psychological thriller. I think that they seem to have been having a hard time marketing this film. I, I feel like the same group of kids that seem to go to all these horror movies, they mm-hmm. should dive into a film like this and get excited about maybe seeing something that they've never seen before. Because even though yeah. you can go back and see a lot of movies that inspired him. I don't know if a lot of kids have seen those types of films. It's not a straight up horror movie. Right. But I'm very sad that, and I get it, some of it's because of the pandemic, that the type of crowds that might want to come out to see a film like that. And I think that's why we started this with talking about the vaccines, et cetera. They tend to be people that maybe are more on the cautious side about not wanting to get COVID. They're worried about people who don't seem to care and vaccinated and and, and just to go to a theater is not necessarily worth it. Um, Mm -hmm. So a film like this, which may be more of a niche crowd, it suffers because the crowd that would come out to see it is staying at home. Right. And so uh, for people like us, we go and not too many people are there. So we feel pretty safe when we go there. But I was also sad because I'm like, this movie really should be a hit because there's so much that it's offering. And you just brought up about, you know, these, like the fact that he's got a lot of films that he was inspired by. But I think what's cool about it is he's not just uh, like a Tarantino. He may be inspired by things and there may be subtle stuff that we never pick up on unless we've seen some of these weird like crap that he loves. But (laughs) sometimes he's overtly stealing plot lines and scenes and costumes. He's being pretty overt about it. However, you would have to have seen the obscure movie to see the reference. Whereas he has a list of inspirations. And if you've seen those inspirations, you see how they've inspired the movie and not that it's ripping them off. And I know you saw a movie, maybe I recommended it to you that, oh, you should focus on this if you're going to see an Edgar Wright. And you wrote about it on your Instagram page. And it's a film that I'm really happy that I saw prior to seeing last night in Soho, which was called Beat Girl from the early 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I also, I watched it, I think like the night before I went to go see last night in Soho and I absolutely loved it. It's kind of like a, it seems like it was probably at the time, like a trashy throwaway exploitation film. Yeah. And so like, yeah, it's not like great. It's not very good, but it's definitely like very much a vibe of, you know, teens in post-war England, like, you know, their parents all fought in the war. Now they're growing up in the the rubble and the remnants of the destruction of the war and that sort of nihilistic feeling that like the youth of the time had and rebelling against their parents. And uh, I can't even remember the character's name, like Jennifer or something. She's such a little brat. But um, yes. I, having watched that before last night in Soho, I, I could see like little things, like there was a point where Eloise was like coming down the stairs in a certain way. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly how Jennifer did that in Beat Girl, like sort of like keeping to the side of the staircase, like against the wall. I was like, that's exactly how she came down the stairs. Like what an interesting, uh, just a little thing that I never would have picked up on. Uh, had I not seen that movie. The interesting thing there is too, is that uh, the girl, if you might remember, well, she was a high schooler or she was an art student. And of course, Eloise in this film is a fashion uh, design student. Uh, mm-hmm. And what was interesting is the actress was Jillian Hills. And if you think about it now, I mean, again, the whole movie is very pretty tame, but for early, early 60s, the actress, while they were filming that movie, she was only 14 years old. Yeah. When you see how, like, we had made 
people look adult when they were an adult back then. It, it's kind of, it, it's shocking. And they even had to bring in a body double for one scene because she's... The strip scene. It, exactly. Yeah. So there's a body double there. I think that obviously it's not a, it's not a direct pickup of the story, but there's a whole parallel thing of the strip club and stuff that Anya Taylor-Joy Sandy the comes sex in. Work and, and, yeah. Yeah, so and I the swarmy, that really... the, yeah, the swarmy head of the club played by yes, Christopher, played Lee, by Christopher and... Lee, which like, you know, I think Jack in uh, Last Night in Soho is like very much that sort of like sleazy character just sees Sandy in the club and like knows that he can prey on her and just does it in such a gross way which is like one of the things that i i really liked about this movie and so like i'm gonna like turn on my little like feminist lens now and so as a as a woman and as somebody who considers herself a feminist whenever there is a movie about women where you know women are the main characters like if the movie was written or directed by a man like i'm immediately like a little suspect like yeah how's this going to be handled but i really trust edgar wright like i said like i'm um i'm a fan of his i read something that like maybe there was like some outcry when baby driver came out about like the lack of female characters but i don't really remember because i didn't really love baby driver so well you know he wrote the story for this but he got he turned the screenplay over to christy wilson carnes who wrote 1917 yes so we do have like a woman's input here. Even without that, like, again, I, I trust I trust Edgar Wright. And so I think the movie just does a really great job of sort of illustrating what it's like to be a woman in the world. And there are like several different instances of that. Like when Sandy is like coming down the stairs into the Cafe de Paris the first time we meet her and the men are looking at her and she's immediately like some sleazy guy like tries to hit on her and then you have the nice guy that comes in and is like oh like I'm gonna save you from this sleazy guy I'm gonna dance with you I'm gonna punch this guy out and defend your honor because I'm a nice guy and then he eventually like forces her into sex work, like working at the strip club and then like into prostitution. And so the visualizations in the movie of like, you are Sandy, you are Eloise, and you have this this male gaze at you on you at all times. And then later in the film where it like switches gears into more of a horror film and um, Eloise is like haunted by all of these past clients of of Sandy's and they just they're like these faceless sort of shadowy ghouls that she just sees everywhere and they're saying like that's a lovely name that's a lovely name or like whatever their little refrain is it's just like that's like what it feels like to just always like how some guy like these just like a shadowy faceless man just like always trying to get your attention and like demand your attention and things like that. Like it reminded me of one time, just like walking down the street, talking to a friend and like, you've seen me on camera now. I'm a very animated talker. So you can tell if I'm like mid conversation and we walked past a man, like going the opposite direction. And he said, like said hello or something. And I sort of like, you know, waved and like kept on my conversation and he's like you know it's polite to respond when somebody says hello to you and I was like I don't know you I don't know you anything and just like <laughs> kept on walking but so it's like I feel like that's sort of like what Eloise is experiencing when she's like haunted by all of these men and like you see her experiences going to London for the first time and the gross taxi driver that's like oh like you know we'll work something out for the for the fair yeah, that's like her first experience right she gets there and this is the yeah. first experience she has with a male is that creepy cab driver yeah and the, I mean and that's like an experience that a lot of women have like you're just trying to exist in the world like Eloise is just trying to like live her dream and go to art school in the big city. Sandy is just trying to achieve her dream of being a singer. And unfortunately for Sandy, like who her story is set in the sixties at that time for her to, you know, achieve her dream. Like she needed buy-in and support from a man. Like she couldn't just like go off to the big city and, and make it on her own. Like she was at some point going to need to enlist the help of a man. And so that's what she does. And that backfires on her and, or, or does it? I don't know. Like, Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. We haven't really spoken too much about the plot details. And I think that's fine because 
you know, the story is the story. I wasn't overly surprised uh, by certain reveals and things that went along. And I think that's been a problem for a few critics like, oh, well, it wasn't that strong a story or that plot wasn't, you know, too deep. And that's to me fine because it is about the journey and the things that you're talking about is what I really liked. And my perspective was, you know, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a woman, uh, but I still, I still related to her character in the, I related to when I went to school, uh, and I think everybody has that remembering of going to college, and that's a scary time, especially right, if you're not yeah. from a city. I, I went to school for a year in California. And that was itself. I had to get on a plane and go all the way across the country. And my parents were not there, you know, and, and that was like yes, an adjustment. Yes, you're just like an adult all of a sudden and you don't know how to be an adult. Yeah. And so you're going to have to now, you're going to have to like make friends with people who might have completely different personalities. So that just that freshman year, this movie reminded me a little of that it captured that for me. And I think that's the part where whether you're a male or female, I think Edgar Wright was channeling some of those of his own experiences as, sure. hey, I'm going to someplace that's supposed to help me fulfill my dreams. And that part should be the easy part. Because so like for her, she's a great designer. And so doing mm-hmm. that part should be easy. But navigating, you know, socializing with people and different personalities and the fact that she's not like some rich city kid. Yes. My second year of college, I transferred to New York University and I'm this kid suddenly hitting the big city. And <laughs> it is an adjustment. And I loved it. But like there's an energy and excitement. And I was able to channel myself right into that feeling of like what it is for someone like Eloise, uh, played mm-hmm. by Thomas and Mackenzie. Uh, she's a great actor. And it really did hit home for me that it felt very realistic of these are the scary things like I don't want to be in this dorm full of awful, awful kids that are not nice to me. Maybe I can just go and be by myself. And she wants to escape. She's not Mm -hmm. willing to assimilate and try to get along with these people. She may be experiencing some unbalanced uh, tendencies like her mom who had gone to the city years before. And maybe at times you're wondering, is this Sandy somehow related to her mom? Or That's what I thought. Yeah, you're wondering, what's the deal? Like, it's a relatable story. That's why I was engaged, because I think we've all felt that at some point in our life, we've gone to make a change, to seek out our dreams, but that road is more than just even trying to achieve our dreams. It's all this other scary stuff about trying to grow up, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And like the the feeling of being in a room surrounded by people and like you should be having fun right right now and like living your life but you feel so desperately lonely and all you want to do is just go be alone because that's the easier it's the easier thing to do to just like retreat within yourself and like questionable like how healthy that is probably not very well and then here she starts off where it seems like hey she's getting everything she wants it's this cool little apartment and run mm-hmm. by this older woman who diana rigg who passed away before the movie came out a year ago she would have passed mm-hmm. away right as the film was supposed to be released a year ago uh she gets a great role for her final role it's not just like a cameo yeah. but for you know a good chunk it's feeling like she's getting to have this great little fantasy, right? She's, you know, imagining at night she goes to sleep and she has these wild, very vivid dreams that feel very realistic. And then she starts running into some people in the real world who feel like that they were young at that point in time and may have been involved in what she's got in her fantasies. Um, Mm -hmm. There's this character played by, again, Edgar Wright employs these uh, 60s actors who were integral to some of these, uh, what were called kitchen sink dramas in England. Mm -hmm. Uh, Terrence Stamp was in this uh, famous film, I think it was Poor Cow, and they used the basis of his character from that movie um, for the Limey years later. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not exactly his character, but it's sort of like imagining what what if his character was now this guy? <laughs> um, <laughs> so he's in there. Again, uh, Diana Rigg, very iconic in the 60s. Mm-hmm. This barmaid where she gets a job at also passed away right around the same time that Diana Rigg did. Her name is Margaret oh. Nolan. She was in a lot of 60s films. She was the barmaid. Mm-hmm. And then this one was really cool is her grandma, the uh, Thomas and Mackenzie's character, Eloise's grandma, Peggy, 
She mm-hmm. was played by Rita Tushingham, and I instantly knew who that was. I was like, oh, my God. She was in this uh, very famous film, The Knack and How to Get It, uh, from the 60s. She was also in A Taste of Honey, which is another 60s film. She is uh, got a vital role in um, Dr. Zhivago. Uh, she plays Dr. Zhivago's grown-up daughter who's now like working in like some kind of work factory under communist Russia. Um, <laughs> and she just had like, you know, her eyes are very distinctive. And so I could mm-hmm. see, whoa, that's amazing. He has Rita Tushingham in the film. And so there's all these treats, right? There's all these treats in the movie. That I didn't get, quite honestly. I knew Diana Rigg, but like the, these other ones that you're mentioning, I'm like, I don't know who that is. I have some more movies to watch. <laughs> because of how I know Terrence Stamp and that, I was able to pick up on some cues from the fantasy. Like I was able to tie some things together there. Okay. See, that's a very that's like a very cool thing to do. <laughs> but uh, you know, there's some other films that Edgar Wright recommends on Criterion that while they don't, I don't think directly tie into like A, B, or C in this movie, mm-hmm. they're inspirations for him. So Again, in the sort of uh, psychological thriller aspect and the vivid colors, he's got a movie that I think is great. It ruined the director's career for years uh, because of this film. Baby Tom. I freaking love that movie so much. The movie is great, (laughs) but you can tell like the the vivid colors. I don't think it's the Mm -hmm. one – I don't think they're showing on uh, Criterion, but it's definitely an influence. And then another film he watches almost before every movie he makes – and it's just got the greatest colors of like almost any movie is uh, Black Narcissus. Yep. That's Powell and Pressburger, right? Am I thinking yeah. of the right? And Michael Powell okay. also yeah. did Peeping Tom. And, and so right, the Powell yeah. and Pressburger movies, I mean, uh, the Archers, as they were called, uh, yes. <laughs> they're just uh, fantastic things. And then there's another film that is on Criterion and I watched it. It was really cool. And again, if we're thinking about that area of, London that they're focusing on. There's a movie called Sapphire. And what was cool about that is it was shot, it was like one of these Eastman color films, which was kind of like mm. the other type of Technicolor. And I, I really like Eastman color movies. They have just a cool look. And you have a lot of um, live exteriors in London and of areas that don't exist anymore in London. You know, they were all redeveloped. Mm-hmm. And so I personally have a thing for any like thing in the 50s or 60s or even 40s that show Technicolor of any sort and live exterior locations because it's like getting a snapshot into what did things really look like. Yeah, I love that too. That's just so cool. So this movie Sapphire, it starts with a murder of this girl named Sapphire. She's a student and there's another tie-in here with uh, this movie. She's a student who everybody knows she was of African descent and she's been passing as white to a certain audience of students and friends and a possible mm-hmm. fiance. And there's a whole racial tangent to the uh, to the film where right. you, you expose the racism in that society and how like that might have played into her murder. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where they go to this girl's apartment where she lived. She lived in a rooming house run by a single older woman and she's upstairs and the whole thing looks very much like where Eloise is living. And that's another interesting tie-in that if you watch these movies, you're just getting a little bit more juice, so to speak, by watching. Okay, I'm gonna like watch that. Sapphire tonight. I have that on my on my list to watch anyway. So I'm gonna watch that tonight. So I loved that he included these and then I would I would advise you, I don't know if you've seen it, but he talks about there's like little segments of each film that he's gonna talk mm-hmm. about. And I watched those too because it helped me go, Oh, do I want to watch this? And that's how I also watched um it it doesn't to me really tie in with uh, this movie as much, but I had never seen Seance on a Wet Afternoon, and Mm -hmm. that I really enjoyed watching, and he loves that movie. Yeah, it's so good. I watched it, I think, like, when I first got the Criterion channel, and it was one of their, like, double features, that and, like, The Honeymoon Killers, I think. Um, it's like a oh, killer that's couple. A good double double fe- that's a good double yeah. feature. <laughs> and I like I had never seen either of the movies. I had never even heard of Seance on a Wet Afternoon, and I was like, this is so unhinged and creepy and cool so that that's a great movie i would definitely recommend that to anybody that hasn't seen it it's a disturbing little movie actually it is like the the wife is just like wow she's insane (laughs) interesting that this film that edgar wright just um made came out playing uh, surprisingly i didn't realize that they had picked this up 
for viewing, and I'd wanted to see it. It's just another film that I wasn't going to be able to get out to the theaters to see. The documentary that Edgar Wright did, The Sparks Brothers. Yeah, I saw that on my birthday over the summer. <laughs> oh, so you saw you saw the film already? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I I had never heard of Sparks before the band, but again, like Edgar Wright as a filmmaker, like he brings so much joy to what he makes that it made me want to see it, and that's. Um, I think I wrote of the movie when I saw it, like this just, it felt like Edgar Wright is like, this band is so amazing and like more people need to hear about it. So I'm going to make a whole ass documentary about this band and make people know that this is the best band ever. Um, I mean, their music's <laughs> like not really for me, but like, I, I appreciate, like, I appreciate how much love he pours into everything he does. Like that, he clearly loves, he loves so much and he just wants to bring it to people. And I, I love that about his movies. Um, I would recommend, it's like two hours long, but. It's two hours and 20 minutes, which is really long for a, a rock band documentary. Except for unless you're like a super fan, most yeah. people won't really know who they are. I know who they are, but I was never like a big fan, but it is yeah. an engaging entertaining fascinating documentary that anybody even it doesn't matter if you like their music or listen to it and go ah, it's not really for me it's just these two are fascinating yeah absolutely and that's like i said like he just edgar wright just like brings this this great thing to you like again like their music is like probably not really for me but like them as people and as a band and as an entity that's been around for so long and like had all of these like brushes with fame but like never quite made it it's a very interesting subject and again he just presents it so joyfully and so i'm just like yeah i love hearing all of these people talk about how much they love this band and how much they influence them and stuff like that so yeah it was i i really enjoyed it it is probably a little too long but <laughs> well i think it does like the last maybe half hour it's a little bit much uh but now here's some other things that i think we should touch on in this movie that again more treats for the audience to just enjoy beyond a plot right so great if you like the story too if you're like i think if you're like a teenager and you see this last night in soho the whole story might come as a surprise to you and i think that's great because you'll get something out of it that maybe you and i can't because we've seen too many movies but well and i actually was surprised by the twist with the reveal at the end okay that, that's um, good see if the movie is terrible you're left with going, this was terrible, and the plot, you could see it a mile away, and it was like malignant, right? You're just picking out the flaws. Sure. But when you get more than just the plot, you're getting that subtext. You're getting the whole experience mm -hmm. of somebody, and you're thinking about the journey of like how hard it is to be a freshman in college and from a, right. you know, dropped into the city when you're not really secure, and you, you have a lot of, you know, issues of figuring out what you want to be. That stuff was so great. And then you have this amazing curated 60s soundtrack. Oh, yeah. It's so good. <laughs> it feels false if you're like, oh, yeah, that, that character, Eloise, it's like a male fantasy of like her wanting to like listen to these cool tunes. That would be like in a Tarantino yeah. movie. This, you feel like this person has been listening to these all of her life and really loves and treasures these songs. Yeah. And then that's also like, we have not touched on this at all. Um, and we definitely should, but like the entire idea of nostalgia, which is something that in this film, Edgar Wright is just, I won't say blowing up, but it's definitely like reminding people that like the good old days were not good for everyone. So yeah. like Eloise has this like romantic notion of the sixties and swing in London and like all this great music and then she gets to inhabit the world of Sandy and see like, okay, this was like kind of a thing that could happen to an ambitious young woman, a young white woman in the sixties. Like she was just a prime target for these like basically sexual predators. And so you can imagine how it was like even worse for like a person of color or a queer person, but it's just like peeling back the veneer that we often have. Like I have a lot of nostalgia, like who doesn't have nostalgia for, you know, your childhood and like the, the early eighties were so cool right and like i definitely grew up like i loved the beatles and like oh, i wish i could have like lived in the 60s and like 
I was obsessed with everything English, like Oasis was my favorite band in high school. <laughs> well, that's what Edgar Wright said is that when growing up, he was, a, he says a lot of times you're obsessed with the decade that you couldn't be part of. Right. Yeah. It's just, it has this like, this mystery and this just like, it just seems like, oh, things would you know, my life sucks now. Things were really cool then, you know, like often, like things would be better if I could have like lived in that time because you connect with whatever there is from that period, like the fashion or the music or what have you, which Eloise like connects with all of those things. And so for her to see the ways that her current situation, the the isolation, the the creepy men, the things that she experiences now, like she sees that reflected in the 60s. I really like the character of Sandy. And I love, there's like those quick shots of her in the club where she's dancing and then she's, you see her talking to men and she gives a different name every yeah. time. She's Sandy, Cassandra, Cassie, Lex, you know, whatever. And, um, and every single one of the men is like, oh, that's a lovely name. They, no matter what her name is, like they don't care about who she is as a person. They don't even give a shit what her name is. Like, they're like, we just want to give you money for sex. The way that that character was able to like have power and exact revenge on all these, because you see all of these men like sitting together and conspiring against her and laughing. Like the bartender points her to Jack, who turns out to basically like be her pimp or whatever. And Jack is turns out like in cahoots with the guy that hit on her that she was that he was able to like punch and be like see i'm i'm chivalrous i'm nice like they were all working together all of these men sorry the patriarchy is just like working together like keep these women in a place that they want them and not allow them outside of that and i like that sandy turn that around and then you know it's funny we talk about how like you know the 60s weren't that swinging a time but what is great and what he does create in a very lovingly nostalgic way the look like the set design the costumes uh we talked about the music but then the cinematography now the cinematographer is um is uh, chung hoon chung and he did the the handmaiden old boy then he's i love the handmaiden so he's moved into some american films he did the hotel artemis it the first one and there that was a movie that my biggest critique other than everything else about the movie that i didn't like was <laughs> that it was a period film and they didn't shoot it on film and it had this digital look and i just it bothers me for a period movie so like this if it was shot on digital it would look like oh a bunch of costumes and sets to look like the 60s instead it actually evoked the feel and i think this is his best film yet i mean i just thought the, the, to me the cinematography was bar none it it, it was just it, i loved it i loved it so much it looked great and it was a great movie to see in the theater and to see on the big screen and i read um i read an interview after i saw the movie where they talk about that cafe de paris set because like that club is not there anymore and i guess it was like a very famous club and so like they built an exact replica of it and he showed it to diana rigg who didn't have any scenes on that in there right right yeah so he was like you know come and check it out and he said that she commented like oh like i just remember walking down these stairs and seeing all of these men like eye me like a piece of meat and just like follow me down the stairs and that's sort of like how Sandy's entrance is as well. Like that's what she experiences. And so just like that, that could, that that set was like so realistic, even though it's something I've never actually seen in my life, but it was like, so the attention to detail was such that somebody who lived that just felt those memories immediately come back. And it just, and it feels like that watching it, it feels very true to form. And like the costumes are so freaking great from the the 60s uh, scenes, it just, and I think Anya Taylor-Joy is fantastic. Like, I think she's probably like one of the great young working actresses right now. Like everything I've seen her in, I've, I've super enjoyed her performances. So I'm excited to see what she does next. I loved the uh, the Chef series on Netflix. Oh yeah, I didn't I didn't watch that, but you I've heard seen that's good that? for costumes though. But. Oh man, you gotta see that. It's really good. I just, I've had a hard time during pandemic getting into TV shows for whatever reason. I'm telling you, you want to see some (laughs) Anya Taylor-Joy acting, you've got to watch it. She is fantastic in that. 
Fantastic. It's on the list. It's on the list. Maybe 2025. Yeah, The Queen's oh, Gambit. Yeah. We learned that Shannon watches the movies, but she doesn't watch those series. ton of... Yeah, like my husband and I, like we just rewatched the entire Kids in the Hall series. Yeah, I've been watching some of that on Amazon. It's so good. Yeah, it's it's great. Like we finished like all five seasons and by the end we were like ready for it to be over. But then we finished the last episode and we're like, I could honestly watch it again. It's so good. It's so funny. <laughs> so that's like our dinner. Our, we watch a TV show while we eat dinner or whatever. But anyway. I'm so glad that... Look, people are not going to, obviously it did not do well uh, in theaters, which is very sad to me, but I feel like people are going to catch up with Last Night in Soho when it's on TV. Shame, because I, I always rail against widescreen scope films mm-hmm. that have no business being scope because it's just scope for whatever, I guess, because they're going to show it in theater. So let's make it different than a TV show. But yeah. when it's done right, Edgar Wright knows how to use the frame appropriately and when you see a film like this when you can see it on as big a screen as you can it is just a treat and it was so wonderful it's one of those movies i like i like to say like i go into every movie every new movie i watch like this could be my new favorite movie you never know like the possible it doesn't matter like what it is like this could be my new favorite movie i like that attitude like the worst like crappy 80s horror movie i'm like this could be like a hidden gem. Um, but so that's how I, I was like so happy watching Last Night in Soho the whole time. I was just like, I'm just enjoying this on every level. Like it's visually stunning. The soundtrack is great. I like these characters. I'm interested in them. What's going to happen? Because again, like I hadn't seen a trailer and like a friend said he initially is like, I didn't really like it that much because he was expecting like a straight a straight horror movie. And I was like, oh, okay. So I didn't like, I didn't have that. So he had that expectation and I didn't have that. And then I watched the trailer after I saw it and was like, okay, yeah, I can see how you would think it would be one way. Um, But so that's why like, I try to do no trailers anymore. So <laughs> like I'm in the theater with my popcorn and just bop into the music and like, what's happening? Things are weird now. <laughs> <laughs> what's interesting is that see i saw the trailer and it was when it was starting to get more of that thrill i'm like ooh, i hope the movie isn't going to go down that path to like that's the part where i'm like uh i really would rather not it be that and so i was so happy that it really wasn't a horror movie yeah yeah me too and i i like that it just had those like elements to yeah. it like pulled in just enough and then like those last you know 20 minutes or whatever where you sort of like things just kind of start going crazy it was such like a fun ride and also like one other like important theme that i just wanted to point out is that he makes like a big point of having a support system because you hear eloise's grandmother like consistently say like it's okay if this doesn't work out like you have a place to come like i'm always here and like she has like a sort of love interest that it's not like fully fleshed out. So that's kind of my least favorite part of the movie. Like that wasn't, but, but that man for whatever reason is super supportive of Eloise and like, I'm here for you. And so you just see that juxtaposed with Sandy's situation where she seemed to be like very isolated and didn't have anybody else. Right. She had nobody to support her. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody that was interested in her, her safety until Eloise like starts inhabiting her world so it's just like that importance of especially for women to like have that support system have that backup people that you can rely on and i just thought that was a really important theme and i did not want to end this without saying that so support your friends especially your lady friends (laughs) what i liked is uh, i my fear my fear was that it was going to be a story that edgar wright was looking for an excuse to go into the 60s but didn't have a story so he ends up falling back on sort of a horror element and what i Mm -hmm. discovered instead was the entire journey of the story was well supported and that it was thought out and that this was the story they were going to tell and that the sort of psychological thriller aspect felt perfectly uh set into the the whole entire story so i so it it completely worked for me like i said just because i Mm -hmm. could pick up on certain things that really didn't have any bearing on why i loved this movie so it really was a strong recommendation for me yeah even if you kind of see some of the things coming it didn't diminish my enjoyment of the film 
one bit. Um, and I like that we didn't get like the full backstory on every single person. Like Eloise's mother is dead and she sees her as a ghost sometimes, but it's like, right. that's just a thing that happens to her. You don't need to know all about that. We're telling this story now, you know, there could be a prequel where we learn like why she sees her ghost mom. But, um, you know, it's just like, he didn't feel the need to like explain everything. And, you know, I appreciate that. And like, as a viewer, I can suspend disbelief and just be like, okay, she sees dead people. What else we got? What else is going on? You know? So um, it was just, yeah, it's like such a huge recommend from me. I definitely want to see it again. I saw it alone and my husband wants to see it. So I'll take him out on a date to see it. But yeah, it's, it's a huge recommend from what Shannon watched. <laughs> Excellent. Well, this has been a treat. Uh, I always appreciate now getting a chance to uh, talk about films that are out there with you. Um, and so uh, now instead of like, I hope you'll come back again, I know you'll be back. Um, <laughs> I won't shut up. <laughs> I, you're absolutely coming back. There's a few movies coming out that I really do hope to see in the theater just because these are films that I feel like will be theater films. And for the one that it will, I will not miss will be licorice pizza the upcoming pt anderson film that's just i'm yes. going to see it and i will see it on film i will make a trip to see it on film wherever it's going to be absolutely i do want to see and it's more of a curiosity for me because i really don't understand why they would remake this film at all but since they have and they're going to i have seen all those other movies in the theater i gotta see it is uh spielberg's west side story i just oh. have to i have to see what the, i have to see why would he remake this so i'm curious i can't so i'll just share with you quickly <laughs> one of my greatest like cinematic movie going experiences i saw west side story for the very first time maybe four years ago oh, wow. at a local theater they were they were showing it on 70 millimeter i've seen it in 70 it's amazing whatever like the original like sound equipment that it was recorded i like i don't i'm not an audiophile or technical person so i've seen that particular print and i know there's a theater where you're at that can show 70 so i know yes i think i know the theater you're talking about and it's it's my my favorite theater but i saw it for the first time there and the the moment it started, I just burst into tears. And, and that was a moment where I'm like, I'm watching like one of my favorite movies. Like, I know that this is going to be a favorite movie and I loved it so much. And it is, I've seen it just that one time, but it is sacred to me. And I can't believe that they are remaking it. Like, I know the Natalie Wood casting is garbage and all that, but like, what are you going to do that's better? Come on, man. <laughs> well, it's interesting you had that experience. I saw it a few, like, oh, it's like five or six years ago. Saw it in New York City at a, at a place that shows 70 millimeter films. Saw that print where they were able to do a restored digital six track with the exact way it was yeah. in the theater. And that recreation is so great. But what's so cool about seeing West Side Story in 70 millimeter is it was one of the, and I say few films because I think there's only like maybe 40 total movies that were ever shot mm -hmm. in 70 right. millimeter because it's very expensive to shoot with that film. So when you see a film that was photographed in 70, projected in 70, it's just stunning. I mean, I'm not saying it looks, it, it still looks like film, yeah. but it's just so sharp and it's so intense that it kind of feeds into your brain differently. It totally did. A 100%. That's like literally like the first frame. I was like, oh, I'm in love. <laughs> yeah. And the color, I mean, that whole, yeah, it, it's, it's really impactful. And quite honestly, the choreography of certain sequences in that movie are so electric Mm -hmm. And really with the editing that they just kind of like put your hairs on your arms mm -hmm. to stand up and you get the goose pimples. And I guess, for again, for those reasons, I just, you know, Spielberg, you know, look, his early years are different than his later years. And I'm just, yes. I'm just wondering, like he never made a musical and now he takes an iconic film, but you know. Different productions of, of classic musicals go get put on Broadway all the time. And sure. so I'm just, I'm curious. Like I said, it's me. I don't think a lot of people are going to go see it. I have to see it in the theater because to me, it'd be pointless to see it anywhere else. So I want to see that. I want to see Licorice Pizza. I do want to see the Wes Anderson movie. 
I'm hoping to, if I can see it this weekend, otherwise it's probably going to be on home for me. And then for some strange reason, and only because I think it's going to be a campy hoot, I don't think it's going to be a good movie. I think the performances, which are getting talked about, I think they're going to be ridiculous, but I kind of want to see it is that uh, Lady Gaga Gucci movie. I cannot wait for House of Gucci, the father, the son, the house of Gucci. (laughs) Maybe that's our mission. It's like coming out like, thanksgiving weekend if i see it and you see it maybe we got to talk about that (laughs) yes uh absolutely um i already love it just fyi (laughs) okay that's great i think that maybe that's what we got to talk about that's one trailer i did watch (laughs) okay so there we go next we're we're gonna see it and then we're gonna talk about that because i just i just my i'm putting my money down that this thing is going to be a camp classic so it's gonna be so much fun i cannot wait So, okay. So on that note, everyone stay tuned. Uh, Go, go see some films. Uh, The Morlock will be back. The Shannon will be back. And, uh, you know, that's it. So uh, till the next time, which next time probably won't be with Shannon. It'll probably be me, but (laughs) maybe in a couple of episodes when this Gucci movie comes out, we're going to talk about that. So get ready. Get excited. I'll be here. Bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Get the classic Shannon. 